chapter 17, 2 Kings chapter number 17. I was joking with Pastor a little bit. We were uh, uh, in, in the teacher's meeting last week. He kind of went through these different lessons and where we're at. And uh, last week's lesson was on all of the kings through the history of Israel and Judah. So that was a lot of kings to cover very, very quickly. Um, and then this week it was on Israel goes into captivity, which is a very heavy, very, uh, very long lesson, but also kind of touched on last week. And uh, so I was like, wow, um, you know, we get, we get the fun one. So I did a little bit of research here. We're, we'll get into that, but let's start out. Second Kings chapter number 17, verse number one, it says in the 12th year, of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hosea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like all of the other kings of Israel did, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hosea became his servant and gave him presents. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no presents to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. And the king of Assyria came throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. And by the way, just so you know, Samaria is the capital city, so he's They've surrounded the, the capital city three years. It's under siege. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and in harbor by the river of Gozan in the cities of the Medes. And so it was the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God and had brought them out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things which were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them up high places in all, the, in all their cities, from the tower of the watchman to the fence city, and set them up images and groves, and in every high hill, and under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. Um, and I, I read all of those verses because I wanted you to see that uh, they're kind of establishing here why they're going to go into captivity. They're serving all these false gods. This is what's going on with them. Uh, jump down to the very last verse of this chapter. So he's going to talk about a bunch of, bunch of the sins that they had done, a bunch of the false gods they had served. Verse 23 until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. Sorry, not last verse, but that verse 23 there. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you bless this thought. I pray, Father, that you'd help us, Lord, as we look at this idea of being carried away into captivity. I pray, Father, that you'd help us, Lord, to uh, make an application to our own lives. And I pray, Father, that you'd help me be with Pastor this morning. He's preaching there in Ohio. I pray, Father, that you bless the, bless them. Services there. I pray, Father, that you be with us today. I pray, Father, that you meet with us. And I pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So many of us are familiar. If you've been, um, uh, if you've if you've read the Old Testament, especially the end of Second Kings or the end of Second Chronicles, and then we read in Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther, we read about some of this stuff about the captivity going on. It's helpful, though, for for us to kind of understand. It, it gets a little confusing. So. 
Understand there's two, the nation of Israel split in half. There was a civil war and they split in half. Ten tribes, the northern tribes, they kept the name Israel. Their capital moved to the city of Samaria. Two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they stayed true to God, but they kept the capital Jerusalem. They were in the southern portion of the country. I know we say ten tribes and two tribes, and, and it seems like there's a lot more of the ten than there are the two, but kind of think like if it was the United States, if like Texas and California split off, and then you had the other 48 states being their own thing, population-wise and almost, almost landmass-wise, you know, it's pretty similar. It's almost pretty similar as far as Judah and Israel. So they're, they're, they're pretty evenly matched. In fact, they're going to go to battle with each other quite a few times in their history, and sometimes Israel will kind of come out on top. Most of the time, Judah kind of comes out on top. So they go to battle quite a bit. This happens. Now, while this is going on, to the north of them, there's a city called Assyr, A-S-S-U-R, Assyr. Assyr is a city-state. It's ruled by a, a warlord, if you will, whoever, whoever's the strongest dude, he's the guy who's in charge. And so uh, different guys are going to take over this little city of Assyr. And for, for hundreds of years, they basically just kind of rule the region around them. Then a couple of guys get a little bit greedy and they decide, hey, we're going to expand our borders out of the city of Assur and we're going to, we're going to go out further. Uh, a couple of the big name guys that, that we're probably familiar with are guys like Assur Banapul. So Assur, the city, Banapul, so the, the king or ruler from Assur. So Assur Banapul, or the great warrior from Assur, they, they come out and they begin taking over the countries around, all around them. They start and they would attack cities, one city at a time. Israel and Judah are a little different than most of the other cities that are there. Most of the rest of them are what we would call city-states. The city and then the land around it is ruled by the city that's there. So I take the city, I get the land that's with it. Again, in Israel and Judah, it's a little different because these are true kingdoms where I've got lots of land. Again, the conquest of Canaan and stuff helped with that. Eventually, we go through different kings that are ruling up there, and we go through some different guys. And... Uh, the most powerful one was a dude named Tiglath-Pileser. Tiglath-Pileser, he comes in and he pushes, now we're going to call it Assyria. Assyr, the city, Assyria. So Assyria, that's where we get that name, Assyria. So the Assyrian king, Tiglath-Pileser, he pushes the borders further than anyone had before. When he gets in there, he, he spreads from the Mediterranean Sea all the way into what's present day Iran and Iraq into Persia. He goes up north. He's touching almost into like the present day, like almost present day uh, Russia areas. I mean, he's up past the Black Sea. I mean, he's way up north and he starts working his way south. Now, while this is going on, remember, Israel and Judah, we think of them as like super powerful entities, but really in the big scheme of things, they weren't that great like militarily. But just below them is Egypt, and nobody really wanted to go and miss with Africa and the Egyptians. So they, they didn't come that way because Israel and Judah were kind of a nice buffer between your African tribes and your, your Egyptians and the northern guys. And you also had Saudi Arabia over here on this side, and they had some pretty powerful armies of their own. So kind of in the middle of all that, kind of the crutch, you had to go through Israel and Judah to get anywhere else. So Tiglath-Pileser comes down and he tries his hand at taking over these guys. It does not work so well for him. He comes down, kind of attacks, things don't go so well. His son, a guy named Shalmaneser, comes down and Shalmaneser comes in and he's the one that, um, in fact, if you look at where we started in here, um, back down in verse number three, it says, Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria. So Tiglath-Pileser came down. He tried his hand at, at taking over Israel. Israel just capitulated. They basically said, hey, we'll just pay you money. You're like this great, powerful king. We don't want to miss with you. We don't want to miss with this. Tiglath-Pileser dies. 
evidently, the Bible doesn't tell us, but evidently uh, Hosea decided that, um, well, if the big bad king is dead, maybe his son is going to be a little bit less of a big bad king. Maybe we can, you know, kind of cut him out and not pay him. And hey, let's make a deal with the Egyptians down south, have the Egyptians work with us, and, you know, this will work out okay. Well, that didn't set so well with Shalmaneser. He heard about what happened, and that's why he's going to besiege and take them over. So, so Shalmaneser is going to take over. Now, Shalmaneser himself did not physically come down and besiege the city for three years. Uh, actually, his son, uh, a guy named Sargon, S-A-R-G-O-N, Sargon II. Sargon's actually going to be boots on the ground. He's the one that's kind of in charge of the besieging army. So sometimes if you look in history, it'll say that Syria, uh, the, the Samaria fell to the Assyrians under Sargon, which is true. General Sargon, who's the prince, is the one that took the city, but daddy Sennacherib is the one, or sorry, uh, not Sennacherib, daddy Shalmaneser is the one that pushed this. Now, um, Shalmaneser's grandson is Sennacherib, and we know his name as well because Sennacherib is going to come up against um, Hosea, and he's going to come up against him several times. So we're going to see Sennacherib come back up, and then we're going to see some other, it gets a little confusing because there's like Sargon the first, there's Sargon the second, there's Sargon the third, Tiglath-Pileser, there's four of those. So it gets a little confusing sometimes you start getting in these. What we need to understand is that Shalmaneser, uh, while he's in there, and he is a very powerful ruler, he's moved their capital city, he, uh, Nineveh had been, um, they kind of left Nineveh, they moved their capital city further north, he came back and reestablished Nineveh as the capital city, and spent a lot of money and slave power to rebuild the city, and he's turning it into a major economic and political hub of the region, he's setting it up, and nobody dares stand up against him. Um, he was definitely the big, strong warrior guy. And it was this Shalmaneser that God's going to use to get Israel back in line. And we'll refer to them as Israel to understand this is the northern ten tribes of Israel, not Judah down below. And God's going to force them to go into captivity. This had been prophesied, this, they had been warned, they had been told this was going to happen. Numerous prophets, numerous times, we're not going to take time today to go through everything that Isaiah and, and uh, Elijah and even as far back as Moses had warned them, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. If you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. We saw it happen several times through the book of Judges. If you remember when we looked at the book of Judges, the children of Israel would go and they'd worship these false gods and then God would punish them. In that case, it was a much shorter much shorter captivity, if you will. You got to keep your land, but you've got to pay us tribute. And that would go on quite a bit throughout the book of Judges. And then a, a deliverer would raise up and, you know, we would get Gideon or we would get, you know, Samson or Shamgar. One of those judges would rule, would raise up and kind of deliver them from the oppression that was around them. From the, that captivity was a little different. They got to keep their land. Under Shalmaneser, he's had enough. You don't get to keep your houses. I've had enough of this. We're not doing this. So he rounds them all up and drags them up north with him. And that was one of the things that the Assyrians, the Assyrians, we won't get into the weeds as far as how the Assyrians conquered people, but just suffice to say, when the Assyrians conquered you, you knew you were conquered. Uh, if you weren't dead, you wished you were. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. They would stack up the skulls of the, they would kill off all the males in the city and they would stack the skulls up outside town. Um, they would rape numerous people inside the city and then they would leave and then they would come back later. And all of those offspring that were in the city would then be half Assyrian, half whatever you were, and they would take those young ones and would take them back and train them to be members of the Assyrian army. So that's how they got to be. So you need soldiers. Well, that's a good way of making soldiers. And they would, they would get a lot of soldiers that way. And they would, 
I mean, just kill off the competition, stack them up outside. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a fighting chance. You've, and if they didn't like you, they would just destroy your city and burn it to the ground. I mean, that was, that's the Assyrian way. And nobody missed with them. You just, it just wasn't worth it. You're, you're going to lose. You just can't miss them. So those are the guys that are going to come against Israel. Those are the guys that are going to come down, and they're the ones that are going to bring about this captivity. Today, though, less about the captivity of Israel and more about sometimes we get into captivity too. And that's what I want to kind of focus on uh, this morning is how we go into captivity too. So that's the history side. Now, if you've got your lesson there, I want you to look down. It says, um, application of Israel taken into captivity. I just want to look at these reasons that Israel went into captivity and reasons sometimes they will go into captivity. And we've got a little bit more on this, but they went into captivity because of sin. Um, my wife and I, over Thanksgiving, got a second puppy. Our second puppy is a German shorthair, and she is a little monster. And so our little monster German shorthair gets, if I can get her, this is her old small kennel. She's bigger than this one now. She barely would fit in here if we had to. But... She gets sent to kennel a lot. <laughs> Big sister doesn't have to go to the kennel as much. Our golden doodle, she's pretty well behaved. You just, pup, she's done. Little one, no, not so much. I woke up this morning and I have a little Apple connector that connects my Apple phone to an HDMI cable. $50 little white piece of plastic and it was chewed the snot out of it's destroyed. So. Little puppy's riding out the morning service in her cage this morning. So she's locked up. She's in captivity. So she's locked up. Whenever we'll eat, big dog, she knows what to do. She'll go and sit in the other room. And she still looks at you beggingly, but at least she's in the other room. Little one, she comes up and tries to climb into your lap and gets up on the table. She's tall enough now. She can look at the food on the table and decides she wants some. It's not okay in our house. Dogs don't eat at people table, so dogs go to their cage. And so we just tell her, kennel, kennel. And she knows, now she's, she's learned, she gets thrown in the kennel. She gets locked up into captivity. And she gets locked in there and she doesn't like it. And she'll walk around and she checks all the way around there and she's learned she can't get out, she doesn't like it. And sometimes she'll whine in there and that's also not okay and so you don't whine and we, we're working with her. But she gets locked in captivity. Unfortunately for us, sometimes, we're kind of like that little puppy with God, right? We do things we know we shouldn't do. She knows better. I mean, I walked in this morning, I looked down, and there's that little thing on the floor, Kara. She looked at me, looked down, and then took off, you know, to go and hide behind the chair or something. Because she knows that's not okay. And she knew where she was going. You know, a lot of times with God, we know better. And that first little instance in there, it says sin. There's a lot of times we know what we're doing is wrong. And for some reason, we think that God's just going to be okay with it. Maybe this time it'll be okay for me to chew on the thing I'm not supposed to chew on. Maybe this time it'll be okay for me to get into this thing I'm not supposed to get into. Maybe this time he's not going to care if I, you know, chew up one of his shoes. Who's going to care? I mean, hey, it doesn't matter. Just put it out there. God's not going to be okay with it. He's never going to be okay with it. It's never going to work out that way. But for some reason we think, hey, maybe this time. And so what does God have to do? Kennel. And we get locked in that little kennel. And we don't like it. I don't like it, trapped in the kennel. You lose some of those blessings that come from that. Probably the worst thing for little Cara is when she gets locked in the kennel and then the other one gets a dog bone. Oh, oh, oh. 
that is like, that is just like, you know, ruthless and, and so inhumane. How dare you? How dare you reward the other one when I'm locked in my cage? This is the worst thing ever. Come on. And sometimes we sit and we look at God's blessing on people and we say, how is it that they're being blessed and I'm locked in a kennel? Sometimes, sometimes I'm locked in that kennel because of sin. Sin gets me locked up. And we say, God, why am I in captivity? God, why, why is this? Well, you thought you could get away with it, and you didn't. The children of Israel, look at, if we look at that passage, every city in all the cities in all the country, they were worshiping false gods in all the high places. Not one or two cities, not most of the cities, every city. Idolatry, widespread, not just a little widespread. I mean, it was everywhere. Everybody was aware of it. And God said, no. It's not okay. That's not going to be okay. So sometimes it's sin that gets us in there. The next thing is Satan. And you can see letter B on there, Satan. And when it comes down to Satan, we understand that Satan is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he made about. He's looking to see where, where he can gain advantage over us. And we know we're not supposed to be ignorant of the Satan's devices, the devil's devices. And we know we're supposed to uh, you know, beware of the wiles of the devil. And the devil does want to trap us up. He does, want to, he does want to get us caged up. But oftentimes when the devil cages us up, when the devil gets us down, it's not so much that the devil locks us in a cage. It's that we get locked in the cage because we succumb to the devil's temptation. And then God's the one that's put us in the cage. Remember what happened with Balaam and the talking donkey, how he couldn't curse the people. He tried and he couldn't curse the people. He couldn't curse the people. And Balak's like, stop blessing them. He's like, I can't help it. But if you really want God to you know, come down on them, get them to sin, send the women in, get the Midianite to swim, get them to sin, and then God will punish them way worse than you ever could. That's what Satan does to us. See, Satan tempts us. He tries to get us. Satan can't hurt us. Satan doesn't have the power to lock us up. But he knows, hey, if I can get them to sin, then God's going to lock them up. God's going to put them in there. There have been a few times we've been watching the pups and little puppy will go and get into something she's not supposed to and big sister will get involved and they both get locked up. Big one's like, hey, you know, little one pulled down the stuff and got into it and I just played with her. I just part, but yeah, you were part of it too. You knew better. Nope. You're going in your cage too. You're locked up. <laughs> The big one really is afraid of vacuums. And so we'll, we'll bring out the vacuum and put the vacuum in the room. That's punishment for her. She's very, very much. The little one has a lot more tenacity. So when the vacuum's vacuuming, she goes and she tries to kill the vacuum. So she, and she's like chasing the vacuum and trying to bite it. So she's scared of it, but she wants to kill the vacuum. And it's like, uh, if it scares her, she's, she's, if something scares her, she attacks it. And the big one, if something scares her, she runs outside and hides. So a little bit different attitude. But there, we came in, we had this little... Um, oh, it's like a little massager thing. You push a button and it buzzes. And bzzz. oh, the big one did not like it. It sounds like a vacuum. It's small, but it sounds like a vacuum. Oh, she didn't like it. Little one, she would kind of chew on it some, but then she bit down right on the button and made it start buzzing. Like, oh my goodness. She flipped over backwards. She was gone like, oh boy. I scared her. One morning last week came in and that thing had been up on the counter in the kitchen and one of them, probably the little one, had pulled it down. And it was like dead. It had been chewed up and like pieces were ripped off of it. it 
conquered. Somebody killed that thing. We're trying to figure out who killed that monster. And when somebody, somebody killed it, came in there. Pretty sure the little one did most of the work because, you know, she's the, she's the chewer one. So, all right, girls. No, no. Picked up. No, no, no. We don't do this. No, no. So they get spanked and stuff. So we, we're, we're chasing down. No, girls. We're not doing this. I don't know which one of you did it, but no. And it was pretty obvious that they were both equally, equally responsible. The little one probably tempted the big one into it. I, I can see that happening. I've watched it happen numerous times. Pretty sure I know how the story transpires, but it doesn't matter. I don't care who tempted who. You both are guilty. You're both locked up. And God looks down from heaven. He sees us. And we, we follow those temptations of the devil. And we sometimes don't think it's that big of a deal. Who cares? Just a little sin. It's just a little thing. God comes out and says, hey, look. Son, daughter, I know Satan tempted you. Yeah. Satan desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, Peter. I know what Satan did, but I know what you did too. Amen. Kennel. And we don't like that idea of being locked into captivity. But God, the devil made me do it. <laughs> Kennel. But you don't understand. It's not all my fault. Kennel. We get locked in that captivity, and, and we don't like it. We don't, as Christians, I don't, like, I don't like the idea of captivity. Next one is stubbornness. Sometimes we just won't do what we're supposed to do. We get stubborn. We get locked down. Through the years working with the kids in the Christian school, we've had a few come through that are um, uh, very gifted in that stubborn department. So uh, I don't know if they're taken after their parents or what it is, but boy, they're stubborn. I mean, they come in and, nope, not doing that. It's like, yes, you are. Nope, not doing that. And, and we've, had, we've had runarounds. Uh, ironically, it's usually the littler ones that are the more stubborn. As they get older, they get, they get a little bit more sneaky in their stubbornness. You know, they'll just, they'll just bite their tongue until they go home at 3 o'clock. The little ones, like, nope, they walk in. I'm not going to, nope, not going to do it. Not going to happen. You can't make me. And their teachers are bigger than them. And the principal's a lot bigger than them. And you're going to do it my way. It's, it's going to happen. You're not going to win. I mean, you're five. It's not going to happen, right? It's like, no, no, you're, you're going to lose this battle. But they think, oh, man, I can do this. If I can just hold out, I can be stubborn. I got this. And sometimes that's how we are with God. You're not going to win. I mean, he's God, right? I mean, we, we understand. I think logically we understand that. But then I think sometimes in our flesh we think, you know what, if I can just hold out a little longer... If I can just do it my way a little bit more, if I can just, if I can just, it's not going to happen. God says, okay, kennel. You really think you want to do it your way? You really aren't just going to, you're just not going to surrender? Fine, kennel. You'll surrender in the kennel. Amen. You won't surrender. You may, maybe you want to do things your own way in life? Fine, kennel. You'll lock us up. Last time, sometimes sovereignty of God gets us locked in kennels. There have been some occasions where, even with the puppies, we have to put them away because I know what's best for them. All right, we're going on a trip. We're going to be out of town. We're going to, something's going to happen. All right, hey, dogs, you're not bad, but we're going to have to lock you up for a little bit for your own good because if I don't lock you up, when I come home, you're going to choose something and you will be locked up or you're going to make a mess and you're going to have to be locked up anyway. Uh, we'll, we'll go on road trips sometimes and they'll have to get locked in the kennel in the back of the car so they don't try to, you know, climb in your lap. When, when they're puppies, it's one thing. When they're 50 pounds, it's a whole nother thing. And you're trying to drive with a dog up on your lap. Like, no, this doesn't work, you know. So 
For their own good, sometimes we have to kennel them. For their own good, sometimes they have to get locked up. And sometimes for our own good, God says, listen, no. What you're wanting to do, now is not the time for that. What you're wanting to do, now that's not the right way to do that. What you're wanting to do, it's not the right thing for you. It's not a bad thing. It's just not the right thing for you to do. This is for someone else to do. So kennel. I mean, think how David must have felt when he got told, no, you can't build the temple. No, you can't do that. It's a good thing. No, you can't do that. Okay. I can't build the temple. That's kind of like kennel. David, you're a bloody man. You can't do this. Your son can, but not you. Okay, God. Fine. Kennel. It was, it was the sovereignty of God. It was God's will for this to happen. And we know, we can look back and big scheme of things, wow, it's really good that God did it that way. But for David in his life, for such a time as this, God, what did I do that was so wrong? Why am I getting locked in this kennel? This doesn't seem fair. Why, why did I have to get locked up? I don't like this. just want to focus on Three or four ways that God sometimes kennels us, and then we'll, we'll wrap up this morning. Three or, four ways, three or four things that are kennels for us today. Things that we don't always think about, but ways that, that we do get locked into kennels. Again, those are the reasons we get locked up. A lot of times it's because of sin, those bad deeds. Sometimes it's because there are consequences for our bad choices that get us into those kennels. Our unbelief, I put confidence in the wrong place, and that gets me kennel. I didn't trust God when I should have. I was stubborn. It gets me locked up. So, but these kennels that God puts us in, sometimes... I think for the children of Israel, it was pretty obvious when you're, you know, your hands are cuffed behind your back and you're being dragged out of your city. Pretty obvious you're going into captivity. For us today, God doesn't usually do it that way. I mean, occasionally, sure. Um, you know, we, we do go into the prisons and jails and stuff, and we do deal with people that are in captivity, I mean, literally in captivity. It's like, yes, you made some bad choices, and now look where you are. I mean, we, we see that happen in a very literal, very, very much obvious stage. But there's also some less obvious ways. Sometimes we get locked into captivities, and some of those captivities sometimes they show up as uh, um, sometimes they show up as a financial, um, you know, maybe a, a financial worry. You know, I'm I'm locked in a kennel. I feel like I can't make this choice because of a financial because of because I'm financially strapped. I'm, I'm stuck in this way. Uh, sometimes it's sometimes these these problems can be uh, sometimes it can be a relationship issue where I'm, I feel like I'm locked in a kennel or I'm locked down and it's it's a it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's a, a familial relationship issue. Maybe it's maybe it's a maybe it's a relationship issue within like a spousal relationship issue. Whatever the case is, sometimes we get locked into those kennels. Uh, sometimes it can be a health issue. Those health issues can be definite kennels. Um, uh, the school kids and I, we've been, we've been going back and forth playing softball this last summer, way back in September. Well, the second game we were playing, I hurt my knee. So I, something happened that my uh, long term is my bursa is on top of my knee instead of underneath my knee where it's supposed to be. So it's been swollen since September. And here it is, you know, almost February, and the, the, the knee is still swollen up there. And so I'm a little bit slower than I have been. And so it's like, uh, and I've got to be a little cautious with it. So we were ref, all ref basketball. So I was refing basketball on Friday when the boys were playing. So running up and down the court and stuff. And I've got a knee brace on. And I've got a knee brace on over that knee brace that's on there. So running up and down the court and stuff. And the guys are like, you know, the guys kind of give me a hard time a little bit about, you know, oh, Brother Daniels, you know, you're getting a little old for this, don't you think? And it's a little bit true. You know, my, my age sometimes can become a captivity thing. Our health can be a captivity thing. It, it, it it restricts what we can do. And so those restrictions that come in there, those are, those are things, and sometimes God uses those to restrict us a little bit. And again, sometimes it's because of the sin. Sometimes it's because of succumbing to Satan's temptation. Sometimes it is just God's sovereignty. Hey, for you, no. Let's just say no. There have been some times where I've really wanted to do something, but 
probably not the best thing to do on this leg right now. You know, I don't want to have to go in and have it worked on. I don't want to have to have a, have a surgery done. So you know what, I think I'm just going to not. I'm going to err on the side of not. Restrictive. I don't get to do what I want to do. Restrictive. Captivity. And those restrictions that come into place, we don't always think about them as that way, but that's what they are. And oftentimes, here's what we do. In our, in our human minds, I want to get out of this captivity. So what am I going to do to get out of this captivity? And, and we saw this is what happened with Hosea. Hosea said, how do I get out of this captivity? I know what I'll do. I'm going to head down to Egypt. I'm going to get Egypt to help me out. Egypt, picture of the world. I'm going to get the world to help me out of this problem. You know, God's not, a, God's not happy with me. I think I know what to do. I'm going to double down, you know. <laughs> Why not? We do the same thing sometimes. I want to get out of my captivity that's in there. And we think, uh, sometimes we think maybe, maybe a move, that will fix it. If I just move my physical location, if I leave this town and go somewhere else, my problems will be solved. Sometimes we think maybe it's a relationship thing. If I just change my relationship, if I, if, 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 uh, if I just change the situation, that will fix all of my problems. I'll be happy and, and all the restrictions will be gone. A job change. If I just quit this job and get a better job, all my problems will be gone. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Turns out billionaires have problems. Um, thousandaires have problems. <laughs> you know, two dollar heirs have problems. I mean, it doesn't matter. Everybody's got problems. People in Kansas have problems. People in Texas have problems. People in California have problems. People in Mexico have problems. You leave the country, it doesn't matter. You still, problems chase you. Who knew? People with big families have problems. People with small families have problems. Single people have problems. Married people have problems. Changing your relationship status doesn't take away the problems. Who knew? But in our mind, sometimes we think, if I could just do this... That will fix my problem. That will make me happy. The pastor preached the other day about peace. That will bring me the peace. That will get me out of this captivity, out of this, out of this cage that I'm in. Well, we understand that those things aren't the way to get out of the cage. That's not how I'm going to break it. So how do I get out of the cage? How do I get away from it? I brought my other little tool we use, our little puppy leash. So we've got small ones, and now they've gotten bigger. So now we've got these bigger ones. And we'll chain the two dogs together sometimes when we go out for our walks. And so we'll chain them together. Oh, that's about how far she gets out. And uh, whenever we're out in the street, sometimes we restrict it a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, Friday night, I was out trying to run with the dogs, trying to, trying to loosen up my, I'd done the basketball game, so my leg was kind of tight. I'm like, I need to kind of loosen this up. So I was going to go out and run anyway, so I took them with me. So we're out running, and in our town, small town, so I run down right down the middle of the street. And like, I don't care, there's sidewalks, but right down the middle of the street, no cars are ever coming, hardly ever. And if they do, we go off to the side. I mean, we're not those kind of dog people, but we're running down the middle of the street, and we're running full blast. I mean, I am booking. The dogs are booking. I used to be able to run faster than them. Now I can't. I used to be able to last longer than them. Now I can't. Their endurance is way up there. I'm not even close. We're running full blast down the street, running, 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 running. And the little one is not quite as intelligent as the big one. And she ran off to the side. And we're running down the street full blast. There's a mailbox stand right about here. We're running full blast. And poof, we go this way. And she's over here. And she decides to go this way. And, whoop, and her little leash thing got wrapped around the mailbox thing. Oh, boy. She stopped flat zero. Done. And, you know, the other two of us are running full blast. So they, we stopped. And come back and she's there. And she is pulling and pulling and yanking, trying to get to us as hard as she can. And she's about like right up here. But you get the picture, right? She's like 
She's like this, and she is pulling so hard on this stupid chain, trying to get to us, like, car, stop, car, stop. And, I mean, she is freaking out because, hey, you guys are over there. I was running. What happened? What did I do? And she's jumping and pulling and yanking and pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. We finally walk, get over here, Cara, calm down, come here, come here, you're going to come around here, we're pulling on the leash, pulling on the leash, pulling on the thing. So then she figures out, oh, I've got to run around the pole. So then she runs around the pole, but she doesn't go around just once, she goes around twice. So now she's like this, now she's pulling this way, and it's still not working, now she's really upset, like, what on earth is going on? And she can't figure out how to get out of this situation. Finally, I had to come over there, unwrap her, set her all up, and then take off going again. The second time we took off running... She was very hesitant. <laughs> she did not like the idea of going. So the big one takes off, and I'm like, all right, let's go, let's go. And she's like behind us the whole time, kind of trailing behind, like, okay, whatever happened that last time, I don't want it to happen again. I don't like that. She tried to figure her own way out of the situation. How do I get out of these situations when I do get in captivity? Last thing, we'll wrap up here. Uh, the first thing I need to do, remember this, Jesus led captivity captive. That's who God is. That's who Christ is. I know we like to... You know, sometimes it becomes kind of a, a cliche that Jesus can, is the answer to everything or Jesus is the answer to this. But in this instance, he actually is the answer. Yeah. I'm sorry, there's, there's no other way around it. Ultimately, our sin that leads us captive and ultimately we're looking at the captivity of hell, the way to get released from that is through accepting Jesus Christ our Savior, right? But then this kind cometh forth, but not but by prayer and fasting. There will be some times in life where we're going to get wrapped up, we're going to get captive up, and the only way out of that situation is through prayer and through fasting. That's the only way to get out of that situation. I want out of that captivity. That's what it's going to take. The second way to get out of that captivity, again, it's... it's another cliche or another thing we hear all the time, but see, I'm going to have to accept the bi biblical promises, Bible promises. Oftentimes I get locked in captivity because I didn't have faith where I should have had my faith. Why did Jose, why did all these people get in all this trouble? Look at what they were doing. They were putting their faith in the wrong places. Faith in this false God, faith in this false God, faith in the high places. They were trusting everything else. Shoot, we're going to trust the king of Egypt to help us. They're trusting everything that they needed to trust except the one they should have been trusting in the first place, which was God Almighty. They put their faith all in the wrong spot. And we do the same thing. Say, I put my faith in this. I put my faith in that. And I don't put my faith in God's word. Oh, well, the news said this. Oh, well, the doctor said this. Oh, well, you know, my boss said this. Oh, well, the financial planner says I should do this. And we put our faith in all of these other places, but I don't put my faith in God's word. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more God's word I study, the more, God's, the more times I put my faith in God's word, the easier it is for me to stay out of those captive situations, or if I am captive, that's how we get out of that captive situation. So first of all, it's going to take some, I'm going to have to, it's going to take Jesus Christ, it's going to take God, I'm going to have to get forgiveness, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, through prayer and fasting, get out of that. Second thing it's going to take, it's going to take uh, trusting God's word. The last thing it's going to take, and this is, uh, again, kind of on the nose there, but whatever we did to get us in captivity in the first place, don't do that, right? I mean, it's, Pretty obvious, you would think. Like, dog, you got locked in the kennel because you chewed on a shoe. So let's not do that again. They're dumb. Next day, there they are with a shoe. Again, back in the kennel. Here we go again. Like, come on, dog, when are you going to learn? We don't do this. We don't do this. When are you going to learn? Unfortunately for us, God looks down from heaven. He says, come on, guys. When are you going to learn? Just leave it alone. Just stop with that. Amen. I don't like locking you in the kennel. I'd rather have you be free. But if you can't be trusted to be free, I'm going to have you safe over free. So, kennel. Just don't do that thing that got you locked in there. And, and don't flirt with it either. That's what we like to do, right? It's like, well, I know this is bad, but I'm going to get as close as I can to it. You know, the dogs will come and they'll sit and they'll look at the shoe. 
They get a little closer. They're right by the shoe. And then they'll lick the shoe a little bit. They know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. They get right up next to it. Just a little nibble. And then before you know it, back in the kennel all over again. 